TV. Welcome to another episode of Doctor Who Too Hot for TV. We are the podcast that looks at all things Doctor Who Extended Universe, from MAs and NAs to comic strips, short trips, and from BBV CDs to DWM freebies. We cover it all. Today's guest is Stephen Hatcher. Stephen Hatcher is a 64 year old retired teacher who has been running the Hoover's Doctor Who group in Derby since 2001 and the Hooverville Convention since 2009. He wrote several stories for the Big Finish Short Trips books and has contributed to any number of fiction and non-fiction books and podcasts on Doctor Who and other TV shows. So Steve, welcome to the show. Hello Dylan, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too. So today we're going to talk about two Sixth Doctor stories, but before that I always ask my guests this question because it helps set the scene of people's fandom and what kind of things they may or may not be into. How did you become a Doctor Who fan? Well, as you said, I'm 64, so I was born in 1958. So I was five when Doctor Who started. So I was aware of Doctor Who from quite a young age. Um, I, I, I did things like I owned the Armada book of uh, Doctor Who and an exciting adventure with the Daleks. Ah. Um, I certainly saw the two Cushing movies at the cinema. But I hardly saw the television programme during the 60s, which is bizarre, because, I mean, even that, those, those are the key years, those are the years leading up to when I was about 12, 11, 12. But Saturday evening, is, and I've, I look, I've said, I've told this story on other podcasts before, so apologies to anybody out there who's heard it before. But um, I, um, but my family, we always used to, used to go to my gran and granddad's house on a Saturday evening. And my granddad was, would never, ever have the BBC on the television. He, it was, ITV was turned on at the beginning of television starting and, and was turned off at the end of the night. The, the channel button was never used. The explanation for that is bizarre. I mean, he loved his professional wrestling, which he started Saturday evening with. Yeah. So that was always the first thing. And then it was some dreadful American film series, To Catch a Thief with Robert Wagner or some, some rubbish <laughs> like that. But it wasn't just Saturday, it was all week. It would only ever be ITV. Now, in those days, I think there were ITV households and BBC households. And it more often went the way that people of a sort of a vaguely educated persuasion would say, oh, no, we don't watch that trash on ITV. Because ITV in the 50s, 60s was definitely down market, I think yeah. it's fair to say. Although there's some, there's some superb stuff on there. But I don't know. I mean, whether it was, I mean, I think he deeply resented having to pay the license fee. But being a very law-abiding man, he would always pay it. Of course. I think it gave him an excuse to moan about it if he never watched BBC. <laughs> so it's either that or some sort of inverted snobbery. But anyway, anyway, so I never got to watch it unless I was ill and we, or my brother was ill and we didn't go up to, 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 to my grand and granddad's house. So I saw first ever episode I remember, and I can say absolutely, I definitely saw that episode, was the first episode of The Web Planet. Okay. And I've got pretty clear memories of some scenes from The Massacre, episode one, uh, particularly the scenes in um, uh, the Queen's Court uh, and, and people trying to persuade her to do in the, uh, the, 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 was it the, the Sea Wolf, was it? I, I, I can't remember. The Sea Beggar. Yeah. The Sea Beggar, of course. Yes, that was the one. Of course it was. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've got memories of that, of uh, Queen Catherine de' Medici and so on. Um, I mean, lucky you. Well, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I remember writing a letter to Junior Points of View 
stressing that they should put on more programmes like Doctor Who, which I wouldn't have seen anyway, <laughs> and Sherlock Holmes, which would have been the, the, the Peter Cushing series, I think. So, You know, I even had the Pressomatic Daleks game with the little thing. <laughs> so, so Doctor Who was there in my life, and I remember when the first regeneration happened. I, I knew that. I knew that had all happened. No, um, it would have been the summer of... Uh, sorry, summer. Christmas, rather, of 1970. 72, yes. Um, the, the, because we, again, we always used to go to my grand and granddad's for Christmas. They were only the other side of town, but we used to go and stay there for Christmas. And then we would come back on the day after Boxing Day, and there would be nothing to do then because Christmas had gone. We'd just got all these presents in a pile now. We won't play with them because we've played them to death the last few days. And I'd have been 14 then, so these days I'd be a, a young adult, but in those days I was still a child put the television on and there was the the omnibus repeat of the sea devils which i absolutely loved um and thought right i'm gonna put my foot down and, and, and nice. watch this now and i did from then on i remember having to write um being uh, school homework which was um uh do a, a review of a tv show that you've seen and, and i did the first episode of the green death so from then on apart from the time when i was a student abroad in 79 and 80 I watched it pretty much all the way through to 89 and the end of things. So when did you become aware of Doctor Who beyond the TV show? So it wasn't just a TV show, but there were books and there were magazines with comics in. And then obviously later on it grew to audios and all these other things. And then also fandom as a whole. Well, I had the, the first two paperbacks back in the 60s. As, as I said, I had mm. in an exciting adventure with the Armada one. And I also had the Dragon paperback of the, the Crusades. I, I was a regular reader of uh, TV21 comic from its first issue and then Countdown and, and all that sort of business. I was just slightly too old for the Target books when they came out. Because, well, at least I thought I was. I probably wasn't, but I didn't read them. Uh, I'd have been, they came out in early 73, didn't they? So, so yeah. I, was coming up, uh, I was coming up 15 then. So I suppose my mind was moving on to other reading materials and things at that point. I was not aware of the existence of Doctor Who magazine until the early 90s, oddly right. enough. It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I bought the um, Red Dwarfs magazine, if you remember that. Um, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I bought that again from the first issue and absolutely loved that. And then one issue, it said in in the front of it this is the final issue of this and I thought oh blimey well now what will I do <laughs> and I, I I happened upon a copy of DWM in um in in, in a branch of WH Smith's in Colchester which I was living in Essex at the time and uh, it was I remember you got William Hartnell on the front and, and I, I was this would have been a, a roundabout in the lead up to the the 30th anniversary in in, mm. in 1993 and I loved the 30th anniversary I was, I was I'd, I'd, I'd started there was the the previous year there'd been the um the repeat season hadn't there? yes um, and I loved those uh and taped them all off the telly yeah and like I say I was living in Essex and it turned out uh oh joy that uh, Chelmsford Library uh had virtually all of the, the the VHSs oh amazing so I thought right okay time to do some catching up here nice. uh, of course illegally copied them uh, <laughs> they they even provided a nice color photocopying machine in the library so Brilliant. I could copy the covers <laughs> uh, 
I, but I must say that having got all the ones from there and watched them and loved them and all the rest of it, I did then actually start buying them and collecting them. So okay. I, I replaced all those in the end. But uh, great. But but I wasn't going to wait until they all. Uh... <laughs> and and then 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 the audios. Well, I got into Star Trek talking books first. There was a whole right. rash of uh, rash of uh, Star Trek talking books in the nineties of the readings of the books and and then just a very small number of forecast uh well, small forecast ones and i've read a couple of the new adventures but not all of them i got into the bbv audios hmm. and very much enjoyed those but they weren't quite right but they were near enough yeah and then i heard about this this big finish project that was happening and with bernice audios and I, I started with the, Bern, the, the Bernice audios and, and absolutely loved those. And, and then one day they said, hey, guess what? We're doing Doctor Who now. So, yes, I've, I've, I've got them, all, the, all the releases, the first 16 releases that came out on cassette. I've got those. Oh, you've got them on cassette? I've, well, I've got them on CD and download as well. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've got the, all the cassettes that came out. And then just as the Virgin New Adventures finished, I thought to myself, do you know what? you really need to start reading these and get a collection of these. <laughs> so I ended up having to pay silly money for some of them because they're going to have to print by them. But I also started buying the novels and, and collecting the, no the the BBC novels and collecting those as well. Today, the first adventure we're going to be talking about is the big Finnish story, The Marian Conspiracy. Marian, Marian. Marian, the Marian. Marian. I've been saying that wrong for 20 years. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> after, it's, it's after Queen Mary. You can say Marian. You can the say Marian or Marian. There we go. The Marian Conspiracy, which was only the sixth release in the Doctor Who main range. It was written by Jacqueline Rayner, directed by Gary Russell, recorded on the 23rd of October 1999 and released on the 12th of March 2000 on both CD and the aforementioned cassettes. In the last century. In the last century. News at the time, Big Finish had just announced that Bonnie Langford was returning for the fires of Vulcan with the Seventh Doctor. Bonnie had also just launched her own website, which featured an entire page dedicated to Doctor Who. It was much simpler times then, but that was newsworthy stuff, apparently. Peter Purvis and the Horns of Nyman star, Janet Ellis, had helped open the waterlogged Blue Peter 1971 time capsule. The current run of BBC Two Doctor Who repeats was being rejigged after Spear head from space did okay but the silurians ratings dipped below two millions <laughs> so they jumped straight to genesis of the daleks rather than running all the way through the color stories and then finally the releases at the time we had on vhs we had the invasion of time from bbc audio the paradise of death was getting a cd release which seems to happen about once every year and has done for many years the web of fear soundtrack was released to the long lost story that was never to be seen again and music wise the bbc radiophonic workshop had just released some music from the early years of doctor who in terms of the eighth doctor adventures the fall of yaquatine i think is, is the title i'm not sure by nick walters was just released and Short Trips and Sidesteps, the anthology, had just come out. And on VHS, Reverse the Polarity, A Day in the Life of John Pertwee, which was basically an interview with Pertwee yeah. from 1992 with a few bits of new footage uh, added in. And the comic strip running was The Glorious Dead. Uh, any of those releases particularly stick out to you as memorable? Well, I picked up any of the, any sort of interview VHSs or anything like that that I could get out of. I've got that one, that refers to the Polarity one. I, th I think so. Anyway, that's the Scottish one, isn't it? Yes, it was shot in Edinburgh. 
we were still um, a few months away from the first uh, DVD release then, weren't we? Because I, th- I think yes, we the were. Five Doctors was in 2000 and the Robots of Death not long after, yeah. I bought. I remember I bought a, a, a DVD player specifically for... I didn't buy it when the Five Doctors came out, I bought it when Robots came out. So, so I would have two, exactly two, the same. two DVDs I could watch. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought them both at the same time as the machine. I remember sitting down to watch the Robots of Death and you know it had the continuity announcements and uh, one of them was on BBC Two now, a look at the life of Rory, uh, single Rory Gallagher. And then on BBC One, Doctor Who. And my dad went, bloody hell, turn over, there's a Rory Gallagher documentary on. <laughs> I was like, Dad, Fantastic. you probably saw that about 30 years ago, but it's not on now. No, I, I stopped at a, a WH Smith's uh, in Cheadle in Staffordshire on the way home from work. I could, I could divert and go through there on the way home from work. And I bought the, the the machine and the two the two DVDs with dreadful covers. I have to say as well, and this is Doctor Who's influence on my life. I guess I didn't buy a Blu-ray player until they started releasing the Blu-ray box sets a few years ago, and now. Mm-hmm. These shelves behind me are full of various Blu-ray releases um, of different things. Too, too, too hot for TV. While chasing a temporal nexus point, the Doctor encounters Evelyn Smythe, who is part of the nexus point. With her family tree disappearing, Evelyn joins the Doctor on a trip back to 1555. There, the Doctor finds favour with Queen Mary, while Evelyn becomes embroiled in a plot against Mary partly due to her dropping too many hints about Mary's place in history. The Doctor and Evelyn prevent the plot against Mary in order to keep history on the right track and restore Evelyn's timeline. Evelyn then joins the Doctor on his travels. So you heard this upon its original release? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was... um, Whether I'd taken any subscription by that stage or whether I was... I think what I was doing is I was ringing up Big Finish every month and ordering them over the phone and getting them to send. Oh, right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I asked you to come on this, you this was kind of your first choice. So why did you pick yeah. this one? Well, I mean, looking back to that time, it's and it's a bit difficult to explain to people who've got into Doctor Who since the new series and so on. But I mean, we were talking about the emergence of, uh, of Doctor Who in the audio medium. For me. Doctor Who didn't come back in 2005 with the first uh, Christopher Eccleston episode, Rose. For me, Doctor Who came back with The Sirens of Time in 1999 because that was absolutely performed Doctor Who, totally recognisable as being Doctor Who, but with much better effects because they were all in there rather than actually (laughs) on the screen. Um, So I was was listening to them right from the beginning and, and absolutely bowled over by them right from the beginning. They were being made with love. They were being made with professionalism. They were being made by good writers and actors. And I loved it. Um, so I was always going to buy it anyway. But mm. this particular release is, is very important because it marks the first time that we had a, com- a new companion created yeah. specifically for Big Finish, which is Evelyn Smythe. Mm-hmm. The Sixth Doctor had undergone a complete transformation from his TV days. Apparently he had said to them, I'm quite happy to come and work with you. I'm quite happy to do uh, big finish uh, plays, but we've got to correct the the the, um, the character of the Doctor. We've got we've got to make it. We've got to cut out all the bickering. But this time we'd actually got we'd got the companion that Tom Baker wanted. 
we've got the yeah. we've got the older companion the, the the almost equal the companion appears to be older than the doctor but actually we know she's much much younger she's uh, she's yeah. educated and qualified and she's she's there because she wants to be there i mean there's there's some there's some lovely quotes um Gary Russell, who created the character of uh, Evelyn Smythe, because it is she we're talking about. Um, Gary Russell sent out a character outline to the writers, which is, think Amelia Rumford meets Angela Lansbury, meets Margaret Rutherford, <laughs> meets Kamika, meets Maggie Stables, uh, and not as dotty as Amelia Ducat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it, is that? Brilliant idea for a character. Again, the town sticks for the reason that we can was talking to Gary about just this and, and he said that what he did is he followed the pattern that Peter Darvill Evans had set when Bernie Summerfield was created that he sat down and wrote a character outline and then sent it to the writers who were going to create that character and in Peter's case that was sent to Paul Cornell uh, and, and in Gary's case that was sent uh, to Jack Rayner here but also to all the other writers who were going to be writing Evelyn Smythe and, and Evelyn Smythe absolutely dominated the Sixth Doctor at Big Finish era in that first decade. The, the yeah. more than half of Colin releases are are, are, are Evelyn releases, Evelyn mm. releases, and it's an ongoing story. I think she does a great job in bringing down the sort of bombastic and pompous nature of the Sixth Doctor. Mm. Um, and I, I know that was the purpose of her. Uh, and I just think it, it all of a sudden you you have someone that isn't taking the nonsense in the same way and there is still that bickering but it's a different sort of bickering it's a lot yeah. more loving and affectionate yes. Um, yes. and you know i think she's just a, a, a fantastic character beautifully played by maggie staples mm. and you get this lovely slow introduction which is in some ways is a bit new series in the way that you know the doctor goes into her lecture and she, his machines bleeping and then they probably get about 15 20 minutes which you would never get on television these days but you the audio format allows you to of just them getting to know each other he goes to mm. uh, you know her digs um, and they just sort of chat and kind of she's she's suspicious of him. He's suspicious of her because she's like this anomaly in time because there's things going wrong with her timeline. And she has these lovely moments. She packs a bag when she knows she's going to go and travel off into time, even packing a cocoa and stuff like that. And you go, oh, <laughs> companions haven't done this before. I know we get it yeah. in the new series, but, you know, Tegan never had time to pack a bag. It doesn't hurt that the succession of those stories that we've said contain... Yeah some of the very best stories that there's ever been in Big Finish. Mm. I mean, you're talking about things like uh, Rob Sherman's Jubilee. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about the spectre of Lanyon Moor where the, brig the brigadier turns up and yeah. the apocalypse element where they, they find Romano again. Project Twilight with, with the, the forge and that sort of business. Doctor and the Pirates with the singing and, and, and mm. brilliant stories. Now, there's, there's a lovely quote from Evelyn I keep saying Evelyn because my mother is called <laughs> Evelyn. It's my mother's name, right. Evelyn. Right. Okay. Uh, but but she pronounces it like that. But it's Evelyn, of course it is. We know it's Evelyn. Sorry, mother. Um, yeah. <laughs> so in 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 Rob Sherman's Jubilee, um, Evelyn says to the Doctor, "You're my dearest friend. Still the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, the places you've taken me, the wonders you've shared. I know that whatever happened to me along the way, even death, it was worth it." And and that's that sums Amazing. up that that that, yeah. that part of the relationship. And and he the, the doctor, if I can 
do my final quote in arrangements <laughs> for war which is the one where she meets um uh, rossiter the man with whom mm. finally she's going to leave the doctor though we don't know at this stage she's going to leave yeah. the doctor for rossiter the doctor says uh, to to evelyn again to evelyn again it's a challenge in some ways to travel with you evelyn each of my companions has been special to me they've all been younger perhaps i'm i mean less experienced less well-rounded i've traveled with my intellectual equals with my emotional betters but no one other than you evelyn has been the whole kit and caboodle that's lovely <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that it just sums up why evelyn Smythe was the perfect companion and it didn't help that the actress didn't hurt rather the actress playing her was a utterly lovely woman as well I mean, anyone had the fortune to to meet maggie staples um you 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 got very quickly got a um an impression of just what a, a lovely person she was she was very open to talk to people she was a very well she was that exactly she was a very well-rounded person she'd done all sorts of jobs she'd been a teacher of modern languages good idea that one uh, that's what i did for 30 years uh so she'd been all sorts of things uh and and she'd got um she got time to to chat to all sorts of people at all all sorts of times and the people who work with her never have anything other than the very best of things to say about her they, they absolutely don't. And her chemistry with Colin Baker is just there from the, you know, from the offset. And that's nothing against any of the other companions he's played against. And again, those relationships get explored more in the big finish range. And, you know, you start to feel the real warmth between the doc the sixth doctor and his companions. But yeah, the chemistry yeah. between them is, is far, far like greater chemistry than you get in anywhere else, I think. Marian Conspiracy is also the first pure historical that Big Finish have done, and and indeed the first pure historical. Well, go on then, you go on then. Tell me I'm wrong in a minute. But also the first, uh, <laughs> but also the first pure historical that had been in Doctor Who since Black Orchid. I mean, it is a pure historical in the in the setting, but it does have a sort of the the impetus for the story is is based around Evelyn's timeline perhaps going slightly skew if. So yeah. while we're going through actual historical events, yeah. there is a there is a, a a science fiction undercurrent, I would say. Yeah, okay, go on, that's fair enough. But but you haven't got the meddling monk trying to change no. history and you haven't Absolutely. got uh anything like that going on. You haven't got a a giant asteroid heading towards 16th century England or anything. <laughs> well, I think it does. It, it's very interesting you say that because um, it is essentially a historical. Yeah. But I, I think this does a sort of Doctor Who that I like my historicals sort of four episodes and in black and white and studio bound. Like that's just what I think <laughs> of historical Doctor Who. And when Doctor Who comes back on television we get what the celebrity historicals, which essentially this, I guess you could call yeah. it that, but as you yeah. say, without the sci-fi, the big sci-fi element. And those stories, weirdly, have never quite worked for me on television because I, I, I kind of either like my Doctor Who sci-fi or historical, but very rarely. So it's lovely to come back to this because it's not like the Colin Baker era. It's also not like the 60s era, but it is sort of pitched in that it's four parts and it earns its... It earns its historical setting and it earns its runtime. Frequently, I find revisiting certain big Finnish stories that they do have an issue that they don't have enough to cram into those four yes. episodes, which, you know, a lot of televised Doctor Who had too. But here you've got four episodes and you get to know everybody and the plot 
evolves and kind of you get to learn more and more and you don't quite know where it's going but you know you're never going to get the meddling monks or, or, or the dalek or, or something like that so and it, and it can absolutely be black and white studio band if you want to with an audio yes. story it can be whatever you want it to be <laughs> it's true it's a calmer story than anything the the six doctors done before yes. and i think you know colin baker has a number of stories of this length on television and they seem to tread water an awful lot. Mm. But here, you, like Jacqueline Rayner does a fa- delivers a fantastic script. The play is beautiful, well-written, eloquent dialogue. Um, so I guess let's talk a little bit about her work. Were you familiar with her before this and kind of w- what she does here? Well, she'd written novels for the, uh, the, the uh, uh, Eighth Doctor novels for the, the BBC, hadn't she? Um, I don't know whether she'd I, done I those yet. The order was, yes. <laughs> I, I think she I think what she was mainly known for at this point was adapting the the novels, the New Adventures and Bernese books to audio. For, yeah. And then she got the BBC. I think her first book's about a year after this. Okay, okay, fair enough. No, I I, I wasn't uh, sure about the timeline there. But you're absolutely right. She she adapted some of the, the Bernese stories, didn't she? Um, in fact, the first one, I think. Oh, no, it isn't. Uh, I think, yes. If I remember rightly, she adapted that one. Um, she had uh, been a close friend of Paul Cornell, hadn't she? Um, yes. In those days, and uh, got into uh, got into Big Finish through um, through him. She'd, she'd been introduced to them by him, and so on. So, and, and adapted his work for them. Good, solid writer. Yeah, good writer, yeah. good writer. Well, I say so. You say solid, and that sounds derogatory, but it wasn't yeah. meant as derogatory. She is a good writer. She could. She yeah. was a good adapter of stuff, and she proved herself here to be absolutely uh, on on top of uh, what she was doing. Very well researched. She 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 knew the history. She, yeah, absolutely, good stuff. A good choice to yeah. do this. And very, very well paced in terms of, as I said before, just like hitting those story beats, pushing the plot on at the right places. I want to jump back a bit. We talked a little bit about Colin earlier. Colin had had one other big finish story before this, which was the Whispers of Terror. Whispers of Terror, Perry story. Yeah. Now, I haven't listened to that in a very long time. Likewise. But apparently, Colin's change of direction was requested after that the marion conspiracy is the one that really kind of does the course correction of what colin wanted to do so i imagine if you go back to the whispers of terror and i don't know you would find something more akin to what you got on television in the 80s but i'll be very interested to go back to that at some point yeah i'll have a listen to that as said evelyn reigns in his pomposity and brashness and brings out his softer side and i think it's unfair to say that there wasn't a softer side to his doctor on television it was just punctured with larger moments that seemed slightly out of character absolutely he gets some lovely stuff in this and it's not only the course correction for colin i think this is the moment where fandom really start to go oh colin baker's quite good isn't he yeah, yeah. um i remember seeing uh, gary russell at a convention talking about that era uh, about that play like say six months after it come out and he said the response they'd had to everybody suddenly going oh my god colin's great and then all of a sudden he was topping the polls again in the fate, or for the first yeah. time in the favourite Doctor thing. Well, I know I know Colin's been very hurt over the years by some of the yeah. reaction to his Doctor, which has been sometimes very negative and and sometimes quite personal, and has been yeah. overwhelmingly unfair uh, because he he absolutely did what he was asked to do back in the eighties, and did it very well. I think there were problems with with some of the 
some of the writing and there were problems with good writers who were brought in to do Doctor Who but were not given clear enough direction as to what you should and should not do with Doctor Who. I mean, an absolute yeah. spot-on, terrific writer, Philip Martin. And I know Vengeance on Varus has its... Has its uh, has its fans and, and it's got some great stuff, not the least of which is Sale and, and Nabil's performance in that. But I think there's too much in that story that's just not very nice. And and that doesn't help. And I, mean, I, I think Philip Martin was writing Gangsters again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is a different sort of thing. Mean, he's a great writer. He was a great writer, was Philip Martin. Yeah. And a nice bloke as well. But uh, uh, he was a bit of a grown up writer, really, to be right. Yeah. I, I feel like Vengeance on Varos, and I do enjoy it, but I could see it sitting a lot easier in perhaps Blake Seven, which is yes. at a slightly older audience yeah. Than, yeah. than Saturday Tea Time opposite the A-Team. But another thing that has happened, I think, of recent, we're so far removed from the Colin Baker era now that you see a new generation of fans as they come out on Blu-ray, perhaps experiencing these seasons for the first time, and really taking to them in a way that, you know, for many years it was that, I think, fandom felt a bit ashamed of that era because it was the mm. it was the one that got it cancelled first time round or put on hiatus. Do, do you know that's exactly right. That's ex- I've I've been watching the the Blu-ray set of season twenty two recently, mm. and I've enjoyed it far more than I ever have done in the past. Yeah, uh, I've really enjoyed it, and there's some great storytelling in there. There are problems. I mean, we've yeah. just gone over some of the problems, but there's some great storytelling. There's some good fun stories. And Colin gives it his his all as he as he yeah. does here. And, and as I said, there's there's a lovely there's a kind of moral conundrum of church versus the crown and politics versus faith that runs throughout the whole story. The Doctor gets some lovely little speeches, and I love the fact that he he finds empathy with Queen Mary, even though she has some particularly ge- genocidal tendencies. Shall we say she's a historical bad guy, isn't she? I yeah, mean, yeah. You, you won't hear read many. Uh, nice things about Queen Mary because she well in the end she ended up on the losing side of history and as we know history is written by the the, the victors isn't it Mm. so uh, yeah it it very cleverly got around that it it didn't didn't do that obvious caricature of the wicked queen there isn't really a bad guy in it there's lots of people with lots of different religious agendas shall we say Uh, who probably would do the same, like the people she's subjugating would probably do the same to her. You know, they're trying to kill her. She believes that she's on the side of God. And so it, it just looks at the, the this moral kind of conundrum there rather than rather than trying to do a typical good guys versus bad guys story. Well, it's quite often forgotten that um, obviously, obviously when, when Queen Mary died, she was succeeded by her half-sister, Elizabeth I. But the burning at the stake didn't finish. It it, it just was a different bunch of guys who were being burned. <laughs> yeah, it exactly. was the other lot that was being burned. And, and I think, I'm, and, and a proper historian will correct me, I've no doubt, but I have a feeling that there were more people burned under Elizabeth than there were under Mary. I'm sure I've read that somewhere at some point. But of course, she's good Queen Bess. She's <laughs> Yes. Is this the one that David Tennant has his wicked way with or not? Yes. Yes, yes it is. Yes, yes it is. is. So, yes. so... She's, she's Stacey out of Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> so David Tennant likes a woman who's a bit of a genocidal maniac. That, that's uh, good to know. Well, yes, but is, is, that, is that the correct way of looking at it? Because they, to, to be, a, <laughs> to be a, a late medieval Renaissance monarch... 
a renaissance mm. monarch you 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 basically had to be pretty ruthless about things yeah i'm being facetious somewhat yeah yeah, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um but yeah. i mean so let's talk about mary a bit more she's played by anna rudin this is her only big finish performance she seems to have done a lot of theater although recently she played small parts in the power pennyworth and doctors what do you think of her performance in this play mary I think she's absolutely fine. Absolutely. I mean, mm. She doesn't stand out. You don't think, oh, mm. blimey, that's a, a terrific performance. But yeah, she's fine. She does the job. Yeah. I think pretty much everybody in this is overshadowed by, by Colin and Maggie, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, there's, 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 there's not a lot of room for anyone else to make much of a, uh, an impact here, I think. It's, uh, you are listening no. to the, the Doctor and the New Companion. Yeah, and it's it's very much Big Finish and indeed BBV regulars of the time. So George Crow is played by Sean Jackson. John Wilson is played by Gary Russell. That really struck me, actually, because yeah. uh, Gary has got a very recognisable voice. He does. And, 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 and you, it, the character comes on and you go, oh, that's Gary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and in, in the way that they, they don't do that so much anymore. They in those right. days they, they sort of did uh, have small parts played by anybody who happened to be around the studio. But but you don't get that now. Big finish have moved on from that. Yeah. We did an episode recently and uh, it was Sword of Orion and I was very surprised to find Mark Gatiss killed off in the first ten minutes. So I didn't even realise <laughs> it because it was just they they obviously were figuring this out, but they just they had their regular repertoire, but then it was like anybody who's about this this character's only got four lines. You need yes. to do it. Other yeah. people in there are uh, William Leaf, played by Jez Fielder. Lady Sarah, played by Joe Castleton, who... Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so Joe's in a lot of these, but she's probably more famous for being part of the BBV range. She's more famous for taking her kit off in that dreadful Saigon <laughs> DVD, I'm afraid. But more importantly, for looking so embarrassed and, and, and yeah. in, in the background <laughs> interviews. I felt so sorry for that woman. Uh, I mean, uh, that's an abused her. actress. That's an abused yeah. actress there, as she's, <laughs> yeah. as she's being interviewed. Oh, dear. Before that, she was uh, in the Auton videos. And I have to say, yeah. like, those Auton videos, I really enjoy them. But they're shot under very kind of extreme circumstances, very quickly, no money. Yes. And so I don't think anybody delivers their best performance because they just don't have the time. So well, it was quite nice to hear her here and actually giving a bit more of a subtler, more like, just like a nice performance and I was like just to prove her acting chops a bit more and she's she, yeah and she has a lovely relationship with Colin in this and again she turns out to be sort of a baddie a little bit like just like everybody's got their agenda mm. she didn't know it but she was about to through her innocence I guess was about to poison the queen mm. and again it's down to the writing all of the characters get their little moments and get their little story arcs there's nobody there just to bulk up the numbers essentially beyond that we've got Reverend Thomas played by Nicholas Pegg and uh Francois I'll get this wrong Francois Denolis I don't know played by Barnaby Edwards let me have a look <laughs> You, uh, uh, my pronunciations on Glasses this one, really. Francois de Okay, I wasn't too far off. Francois de Played by Barnaby Edwards, and then we've got a royal guard played by Alistair Locke. Sorry, uh, royal guard. Sorry, no. <laughs> It is the early uh, big finish repertoire there, but as you yeah. say, they all give it's lovely people, performance. It's whoever's ligging about in the studio, isn't it? Or in yeah. the office, or making the next uh, 
than the next CD. We've kind of covered the main characters, the script, things like that. Are there any other points that you particularly wanted to cover on this story? Well, I think you've said it all, really. Well, between us, we've said it all. That it's it's a gentle story. It's a historical story for the most part. The the big thing about it is bringing in the new companion, and the, the, Evelyn is is there from the very first scene. She's she is exactly as we're going to know her over the next. Uh, well, eight years, I think it is, until until she she stops being a regular, um, uh, and just so important to those those early years of rehabilitating Colin's character as the Doctor, or helping to do that, of of being the companion that should have been with Colin right from the beginning, yeah. and, and and we still miss her because yeah. because Maggie Stables died in twenty fourteen, um, mm. and. Uh, is is still very much missed, wouldn't it be? I mean, even after the character was written out and then killed off yeah. uh, in the ongoing thing, they kept bringing her back as a mm. as a historical, as a past companion. And I think now that Big Finish tend to jump around their own timeline more because they've been because they've been going so long, it would be lovely yeah. to just think you could get a box set of Evelyn and the Sixth Doctor right in there, wouldn't it? not even not even involved in their main her main story arc, just yeah. a couple of stories like this. But which is what they did, didn't they? They they after after they wrote her out in um, well they, they they foreshadowed her writing out in Arrangements for War, yeah, and then they came back the next story they came back to her and she'd already left, and then. There was a seventh Doctor story, um, uh, Death in the Family, where yes. where she dies. But then she's brought back again with the sixth Doctor in the, the Thomas Brewster uh, stories. Of course, yeah. Where um, where she's, which is again, it's 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 in in her past. It's in that period between meeting Rossiter and then leaving him and then coming back again. It would be lovely, wouldn't it? But you could never. I don't think you could recast this one. I don't. No. In the way that you can recast. Well, you could probably recast the Sixth Doctor, you know, when the time comes, yeah. that, because all the Doctor's companions have been from the past yeah. have been cast. But I don't think you would recast an audio-only actor. I, I think people would probably have an issue with that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't quite know why it no. sits funny with me, but no, it, it just it just does. <laughs> I think it's possibly because all we've got of that companion anyway is the voice. Yeah. Whereas with the TV companions, we've we've. We've got a bit more than the voice, haven't we? We've got an image and so on that we can have in our mind and the rest of it. I don't know. It is bizarre, isn't it? It yeah. is bizarre how we, how we do look at these things. I, I also think perhaps now it's people don't quite appreciate how groundbreaking it was to introduce a new companion for the sixth. I, like, I know we've had Bernice and others in the books, but there's something, again, it's this tangibility of like it, it, they're pros on a page and... Yes. I don't mean this in any sort of slight to any of the books, but it fit like for me growing up and getting into these things, that felt like fan fiction in a way. It's yeah. not, it's perfectly legitimate Doctor Who, but yeah. when you've got the actors there, as you were saying earlier, to suddenly yeah. go, here is Colin Baker as the sixth Doctor with a brand new companion. I know there's loads of them now, but at that time, it was a really bold move. Well, well Evelyn was the first original Big Finish companion. Yeah. Do you know who the second one was? Either Hex or um, the the one that was with the... Uh, she's on Aramen. the tip of... Aramen, that's it. No, Still going strong. No? Neither of those. Neither of those. Ah, the was... second original companion was Bev Tarrant. Just Bev in Tarrant. the very next release. Uh, who became more a part of the Benny uh, stories. She settled on the collection with, with um, 
with with Benny. The the, the the next story after this is the the first of the Daleks ones, the yes. uh, the, uh, the genocide machine, and Bev is introduced in that as a sort of a semi antagonistic character with uh, you've got Bev and and Ace in there, haven't you? Um, yes, and she travels with the Doctor for a little while until until she's given the push. But uh, yeah, and then she becomes part of the the team on the collection with Bernice. And uh, Do you know, I, I that completely slipped my mind. It's, it's been a, a while. forgotten mind. I didn't, you know, it's a forgotten. I'd forgotten as well until I happened to look it up today for something else. Wow. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But Erin Mem came a better year later. She sticks around till just after the new series. I think. BBV and other people are still doing stuff yeah. with her today. Yeah. Albeit, yeah. I don't think with the same actress. Well, they, no, it's Caroline Morris, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and a bit of a problem there uh, because yeah. you've got uh, an African character being played by a, a white British actress. Um, you perhaps wouldn't yeah. have it quite. I mean, she she also was lovely. I sort of met her at a couple yeah. of conventions. Caroline Morris looked strikingly like a young Elizabeth Slade, oddly enough. But uh, yeah, you, you perhaps wouldn't cast it quite that way anymore. No. I think I remember Nick Briggs saying that at the time or shortly after, he was just like he was very uncomfortable with the casting. And he said it's nothing. She, he was like she gave a brilliant performance. She was great she in the role, but he was just uncomfortable with her being cast. But different times. Well, we, you know, we say different times. We just did different times. <laughs> um, see, I've had a bit of an issue, a tiny issue, with the um, Brigadier Bambera set that came out this summer where okay. you've got a French character with a outrageous French accent being played right. again by a British actor. And well, that's interesting. I, yeah, and, and I had a little bit of a discussion on Facebook with one of the big Finnish groups about this, one of the big Finnish listeners groups. And, and I said, I don't know whether this is, this is right or not. I, it, mm. it, it feels that there's something not quite right about it. Yeah, but it's not the same as Lee Sunshine. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, and um, you know, there's the constant debate of what well, can you only play somebody that's like you, and like where yeah, is the acceptable yeah. milestone? Abs- absolutely, absolutely. And, and, perha- and perhaps we're not the best people to set that milestone. No, no well, there was a couple of <laughs> a couple of, uh, of, of French speaking fans came in and said, "Well, actually, we don't have a problem with it personally. I don't have a problem yeah. with it myself," and and I absolutely accept that. Um, and clearly, the um, the actor concerned has some knowledge of French, so was able to pronounce things reasonably well. Re- reasonably. <laughs> so um, we've come to the end of the Marian conspiracy, I think, and so I will ask everybody, is this a clanger or a banger? Well, this is most definitely a banger, then. This is, it this is. is bang on. I, I 100% agree. The Ratings War was released on the 10th of January 2002 and it was free on the front cover of Doctor Who magazine 313, written by Steve Lyons and directed by Gary Russell. News at the time, BBCI had started a Doctor Who chat room every Wednesday at 8pm. Again, simpler times when you had to log on at a specific time for you to be rude about Doctor Who. It was announced that David Soul from Starsky and Hutch was announced as appearing in Death Comes to Time. So that was still going on. And he does show up in it playing the Mission Control. It's a tiny, tiny part. But uh, in fact, when we covered it, I didn't even pick that up. Anthony Head was announced as leading the Excelsis trilogy, which was released alongside the second run of Eighth Doctor stories. And dear old Mary Whitehouse had just passed away. Other releases at the time, Tomb of the Cybermen was out on DVD. Planet of Giants on VHS. 
Dalek Empire 4, Project Infinity had just come out. The eighth Doctor adventure was Hope by Mark Clapham. The past Doctor adventure was Drift by Simon A. Forward. And the big finish was obviously Invaders from Mars with the eighth Doctor and Charlie. The Telos novella was Time and Relative by Kim Newman. The soundtrack out was The Faceless Ones. And the comic strip was Children of the Revolution. So anything particularly stick out there? That was the first of the Telos novellas, wasn't it? The the Kim Newman one. Um, yes, I think it was. It was. No, it was. And they were they were a lovely little set of books. And yeah. It just felt like a doomed project from the beginning. I mean, it was lovely, but it just felt that this can't last. And sure enough, yeah. it didn't last, did it? It's, uh, it, it? I mean, I'm looking at them on a shelf over there, and there's about 15 of them, something like that. And, yeah. Uh, they are great little books, but I think yeah. when you've got a monthly book range already, you've got the two novels... Two novels a month. I don't know whether there was room for this slightly more experimental novella range, and obviously I think it turned out that there wasn't. Although I had heard that they only got cancelled when the BBC started bringing licences back in for the new yeah, series. So I maybe so. so maybe there was. There must have been enough people buying them if they had plans to continue. So. What were the two novels again? Hope and Drift. Hope and Drift, that's it. Yeah, Hope, hope was... Uh, who, wrote, who wrote Hope? Uh, Mark Clapham. That's right, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I remember that as being a, uh, an interesting one. I don't, don't remember Drift so much. I was writing reviews of these for um, Chuckeye's Kitchen at the time. Oh, so right, I, I remember was, that. I was, yeah, I was, well, mm. Chuckeye's Kitchen was made by my friends and colleagues from the Hoover's Group in Derby. Right. And, uh, yeah, in fact, I edited the last ever issue of Chuckeye's Kitchen, <laughs> which was an online one, uh, just the one I edited. I didn't kill it off, but well, I suppose uh. I did. But uh, <laughs> I suppose I did. When did that run until it? Did it go into the new series? The, the last edition, because it it had, st- it had stopped being viable as a as a, a, a print edition when Forbidden Planet decided they were no longer going to take fanzines. Okay, and that sort of pretty much killed it off as a print one. And we kept it going for oh I don't know maybe another six, maybe as many as eight online issues as PDFs. And the last issue was a review of series two of the television series of the the, right. second, the first ten in the series. I miss fanzines in in that form. I know we've got the internet now. There's no, but they were great places to read opinions and news and sometimes rumors and sometimes absolute lies as well. Oh yeah. Uh, but I I remember I feel like I picked up Shock Eyes Kitchen from the because I grew up in Birmingham which, you know, isn't a million miles away from Derby. And I feel like I picked it up either in Forbidden Planet there or there was another shop called Nostalgia and Comics, which used to stock loads. And I used to love going in and they'd always have five or six different Doctor Who fanzines. And it was like, you'd pick them up for a couple of Oh, it was in there. It was in there with Shocker. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, I think those of us who are ever um, tangentially involved with it were very proud of it. It was was funny and I think it's still well-remembered. Uh, and then we, we had a spin-off one as well. We had Chuckeye Snack, which was a sort of a spin-off fanzine, <laughs> which, which was more sort of news and stuff. But no, I was doing yeah. book reviews for it at the time. I was uh, I was getting all the uh, all the novels and reading them at high speed and banging off reviews of them. So that, yeah. it, it kept me reading them and uh, committed to reading them quickly. Too, too, too hot for TV. When a power failure takes all other stations off the air, the country is left watching mindless reality TV. Meanwhile, the Doctor is on a mission to complain about poor quality programming, only to discover Beep the Meep has their fingers in what viewers are watching. 
The Doctor and Beep try to outwit each other as Beep attempts to take over the channel and the minds of those watching, but the Doctor, having seen the TV listings, destroyed Beep's transmitter long ago, meaning the viewers are safe and Beep is arrested. The ratings war. Beep the Meep. Beep the Meep. So when you suggested the Marion Conspiracy, I was thinking about what we could pair it with. I'm curious about this because I, I can't see a connection. I don't know where you came up with this. There isn't really one apart from the fact it's Colin. But I just thought it'd be nice to cover something that doesn't get talked about a lot. It's a short, you know, it's a 35-minute story. It's got Beat the Meep. And tonally, it's about as far away from the Marion Conspiracy as you can get. So I just thought... There is no thematic link or anything like that. But what it does do, I think, is give us two quite different versions of the Colin Baker Doctor. And so I thought it'd be interesting to contrast and compare. So, I mean, first of all, have you heard this before? Do you remember hearing it before? If you I, did? I certainly did. I, I had it. Uh, I bought that issue of DWM. I mean, for, for, for me, you see, I mean, we talked earlier about when I first started reading DWM in the early 90s and... And, and and when I did and didn't listen to Doctor Who, um, I didn't become involved in fandom at all until the turn of the century. For, I didn't go right. to a convention until 2000. I went to Panopticon in Manchester in 2000, mm. by which time I was 42, you know, so... Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but for me, the, the thing that defines me as a Doctor Who fan is that I buy the magazine. That's what being a committed fan is... Uh, as opposed to being a viewer or whatever. Oh, no, 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 that's rubbish, but it's mm. just how it feels to me. So, yeah, I had that issue of, uh, of, of DWM. It, that's, that was the, the third freebie uh, that, uh, that, that they'd done. The, the first being Talking About My Regeneration, the documentary yes. of, that launched Big Finish in November 99, launched Doctor mm-hmm. at Big Finish. Uh, and then we had the promotional one for, Big, for Paul McGann at Big Finish, Storm Warning, and the, Episode one yeah. of Storm Morning, Storm Morning, together with something called Last of the Titans, which was an adaptation of an audiovisual story. Yes, from, that's right. From years before, and and then uh, and then this one, which was paired with episode one of Invaders, Invaders from Mars, promoting the the second McGann series. Mm, yeah, it, it's slightly edited version of, of that. I think it's a neat little way to get people involved because it's easy, like you and me jumped on the big finish bandwagon quite immediately but it's important to remember that not everybody did and even you know obviously not all doctor who fans listen to big finish now but they were still trying to pick up new fans and i presume the magazine had a higher circulation than the big finish cds did at the time so i think it's great for them to go look here's we're doing paul mcgann which is very exciting in case you didn't hear the last series but also here's a little freebie for you and i just like i definitely heard it at the time but i couldn't remember a thing about it so i was quite pleased to find this just little fun sort of irreverent little play that made me chuckle a bit along the way yeah i, I remembered it had beat the me not being a reader of the comics i'd heard of beat the me in the same yeah. sort of way as i'd heard of absalom dark dalek killer yeah. And that sort of stuff without actually any particular direct knowledge of it. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it was fun. You're absolutely right. It was fun. Mm. Um, and it sort of started a bit of a tradition, um, in Big Finish of these sort of silly but horribly evil, um, uh, 
uh, villains. I mean, in more recent years, we've had the Scorches, haven't we? Which, which yes. is yeah. a very similar idea, very similar idea. Mm. And then there was another freebie a few years later after this called Cuddlesome, a Peter Davison story, yes. which again had a similar sort of uh, theme to it, of the, the thing that looks cute and cuddly, but is actually really horrible. I was someone, again, who knew what Beat the Meep was, and really the only Doctor Who comics I'd ever really read was the eighth Doctor ones. And so I'd heard of the others. And actually, while doing this podcast, it's been fantastic to jump into other eras of the comics and sort of learn about them. Uh, but I've not done any Beat the Meep. But I really like the idea. As you say, it's a bit of a silly villain. It's a bit of... It almost takes all the cliches of a Doctor Who villain and really makes them work in a kind of a jokey but threatening way. And he does get all this dialogue of, like, you will suffer for this Doctor. And when he first meets the Doctor, he has his own Doctor moment, which is sort of taken the mickey out of and become famous from the Doctor Who night that uh, the Mark Gatiss sketches. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, screaming and shouting, I will kill you for this Doctor and stuff like that. But it's... I love the idea of this this creature that is desperately cute... And, um, you know, that's how it kind of gets into the psyche of people. And then mm-hmm. all it really wants to do is just smash and destroy everything. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple idea. It's very silly. But I think it does work, especially when you just throw it in for 35 minutes. Yeah. Well, of course, it, it had been created it had been created in The Star Beast, yes. which was in issue 19 of Doctor Who Weekly, written by Pat Mills and John Wagner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, well, if rumours are to be believed, uh, then we we may not have seen the last of people. Hello, it's future Dylan here again. Just to pop in to say, this episode was of course recorded before it was officially announced that Beat the Meep would be returning to Doctor Who for the 60th anniversary specials. And later on you might also hear some references to next year, when we're actually talking about this year. But such is the nature of time travel, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey and all that. Well exactly, this was another reason why I thought this would be a fun one to do, just to see if that character does appear, perhaps somewhere in the near future. Who knows? knows? Then uh, we can can come back and compare whether it feels like it was the same character. We We absolutely have to talk about the song, don't we? Uh, yes. Uh, this, um, which I mean, Steve Lyons, who wrote this, uh, this described this. He, he needed. He said he needed something uh, in order to get out in the comic strip. The 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 the, 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 the point where Beep becomes evil is shown basically entirely by the expression on his face. He, he transforms yeah. from the cute face to the horribly evil face, and Steve needed a, an, an audio version of that. So he said he, he tried to think of something that was unbearably cute on the surface, but pure evil inside. Uh, and, and the answer to that, he said, was Disney. So, so he, he wrote the words for the song and, and, and attempted to catch a sort of a Disney-ness about it. And, yeah. <laughs> it's, I will probably throw a clip to the song in just here. So, uh... Ask your neighbour round for a bite and a drink Then nibble off his face till he's raw I can't hate a villain who's got his own theme tune. We'd also had 
with Big Finish, we'd had Frobisher appear in the main range and I think a subscriber special as well. Now, there was quite... People really didn't like their comic books crossing over. No. But the, the Frobisher had been in The Holy Tower. Yeah. Which is, is now, I think, considered, again, to be one of the absolute highlights of the Big Finish oeuvre. Yeah. But, the, but at the time, it was their worst-selling CD ever. Yeah. Uh, it's picked up over it. the years. It's picked up over yeah. the years. And, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. Fantastic story. Fantastic story. Um, now, interesting you, you bring up that, because this was recorded at the, on the same day as right. uh, the second Frobisher story, The Maltese Penguin. Yes. which was a, a giveaway, for a subscriber's giveaway. I mean, that's how they used yeah. to do it in those days, that these days you get a subscriber's short trip, which comes as a free download. In yeah. those days, you got a whole CD come with your mm. CD. And the Maltese, uh, Maltese, Maltese Falcon, the Maltese Penguin was, was one of the first <laughs> of those. And that was a, a Frobisher story. Dog Bolt, the baddie in that, was played by Toby Longworth. Yeah. Well, they used the same crew, they used the, largely the same cast to do... Right. Uh, to, to do the ratings for as well. So here we've got Toby Longworth taking on the role of, of Beat the Meep. Um, yeah, and I yeah. think he does a he does a fantastic job of the you know flipping between the shouty evil version and the cute version. I don't mean this in any sort of disparaging way, but the cute version reminds me of the vo the cute voice that Katie Manning sometimes puts on when she's doing interviews and stuff like that. I don't mean that in any negative way towards Katie Manning, but uh, that's it, it. Just reminded me of that. I, I, I should say nothing. <laughs> Other than I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Every time Nick Briggs is interviewed about Frobisher, he goes, well, I don't think people really responded to it very well. And I would just, like, the Big Finish have done so much and brought back so much. I just want more Frobisher. Absolutely. And I, I have heard of an interview recently where he, he was saying that it has been a, um, a slow builder, that it's it's sold about as much as the, the rest of, of, of the, the Big Finishers from that era now. But it's just, it's taken a long, long time to, to do that. And I think it's taken probably Rob Sherman's reputation to have, because that was Rob Sherman's yeah. first first uh, big finish work, yeah. um, and 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 he considers the Maltese Penguin as his worst big finish work as it happens. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Rob has become a, a, a major writer, hasn't he? And both yes. obviously for for big finish on television with with his only story on television, Dalek being yeah. among many people's favourites. And obviously in the years following that for Big Finish, he did many of the highlights. Mm. And then and then stopped doing them, sadly. Um, yeah. And his last uh, story was an evening story for Big Finish. Was it? Was, it was in uh, the, the anthology release, uh, 100. He did uh. Uh, My Own Private Wolfgang, I think it's called, the Mozart story. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah, it's a shame, but I understand... Rob wants to write what Rob wants to write, and yeah, Doctor Who. He's very happy. I, I like the fact that he's still very much happy to be involved in fandom, and he's always very present at events and things like that. I just he don't was, think I, he's. I, I saw him at the weekend. He was at a Town Sticks celebration. He was he was very happy to be there and take part in that. Yeah. Let, let's get back a little bit to uh, hmm. the this ratings war. As we said, it was written by Steve Lyons, who at this point was mostly known for his Doctor Who books. And he delivers what essentially is a two-hander between the Doctor and Beep the Meep. There's a, there's other characters that figure, but they're you know they've got a few lines of dialogue at the beginning and the end. The majority of it's set in this control room. It's very difficult writing a story of this length 
for a sci-fi show. The the nearest comparison I can probably get, Red Dwarf, where they've got 30 minutes to fire in a lot of, uh, like, a, a solid Doctor Who story. And I think, you know, it's a very funny story. Colin and Beat the Meat just sort of riff off each other. And, you know, I think he delivers, a, a like, a serviceable script for this sort of thing. What about you? Yeah, I think it's perfectly uh, perfectly service, serviceable script steve Lyons a good writer and apparently he was given virtually no time at all to turn this script out he was uh, right. he was in the middle of writing a novel a doctor who novel gary contacted him and said uh, we want you to do a, a a giveaway for dwm we want it to be dwm specific so we want beat the meep in it because of the dwm connection <laughs> and it's a sixth doctor story uh, and we need it in a week <laughs> And and apparently Steve didn't say yes straight away. He he, he thought right. about it and went away and got some ideas together, and then got back in back, back in touch and said, "Yeah, go for it." And and it's mm. a good little story. It's it keeps moving. It's uh, it doesn't lose interest. Well, you can't, can you? In, in, you got thirty no. minutes. It's probably one of the stronger ones of these uh, of these DWM yeah. giveaways because it's not an easy thing to do, is it? Uh, no, exactly. You've got thirty odd minutes. Um, yeah. It's a it's a bit curse of the fatal death. I thought in the way that the doctors already like you know it's that oh I placed that sofa there in, yes. in that the doctor has already destroyed the machinery. But actually, he never destroyed the machinery. He made Beep think that he destroyed the machinery. And the same yeah. ah you yeah. shot me. You, the doctor's dead. Oh, the doctor's not dead. I actually been draining the power from your gun for hours. So. <laughs> yeah, this is it, true. It, it just kind true. of pokes fun a little bit. At the cliches of, of Doctor Who a little bit, um, yeah. which, you know, I'm fine with. And kind of poking the, what was in vogue at the time of a lot of actors, and you'd hear this a lot at Doctor Who conventions of actors going, and now television's full of endless quiz shows and reality shows, which, as we now know, 20 odd years later, that those have very much become part of television. But I think people thought at the time, this mindless, in inverted commas, content was going to destroy television as we knew it. But instead, we've had this whole renaissance of drama with the streaming services. Yeah. So it, I think people take them a bit more seriously now. There was apparently some debate uh, between Steve and Gary as to that TV thing, because Gary wanted to change it and, and make it a radio show. Uh, specifically right. a radio show to tie in with the I was reading this this morning which is why I sound mm. as if I know a little bit thanks to the Big Finish Companion and also yeah, uh, uh, yeah Ben Cook's book the, the New Audio Adventures which mm. is very worth reading he wanted to make it a radio show and, 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 and Steve sort of says well can we actually stick with it being a TV show and the, the Big Brother pastiche at the beginning and, and all that sort of business? And and Steve in the in the the audio companion, uh, the sorry, the Big Finish Companion book, second volume of that, he talks about how that he realised afterwards that there's uh, there's in one of the comic strips that people the does something very similar, uh, <laughs> tries to tries to take over uh, the world with uh, with a TV mind control via TV, so. Uh, he, he accidentally reused a plot that had already been used with Beat the Meat. But there we are. These things I happen. mean, the, the Daleks are always moving planets, aren't they? Beat the Meat yeah. can use the same scheme a few times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Because this um, is not Beat the Meep's only big finish uh, appearance, no. is it? Because they, many years later, they adapted, in fact, in, in 2019, fairly recently, mm. they did an ad- adaptation of the original comic strip, the Starbeat. Yes, they did, yeah. Which I think probably can only be considered partially successful. Uh, and they didn't use Toby Longworth. They, in fact, they, they, they used an actress. They used a female voice yeah. to play the role of... of, of That's Beat. interesting. Do you know, mm. I've, not, I've not heard it, but I do think... I think it was really interesting when they did the novel adaptations that everybody had been like, what are you going to do those for years? And then everybody realised actually quite a few of these work much better as novels. And I I suspect that's probably the same with the comic strips. Although they've been very successful at uh, doing uh, versions of the comic strip adaptations of The Avengers, for example. Yes. They've they've been very good releases. Let's talk a little bit about Colin in this because it's a very different performance to what we had in the previous story. Would you say this is more like his TV Doctor or do you think this is another string to Colin's bow as a kind of slight revised version of his Doctor? I think it is slightly revised. He's not the abrasive Sixth Doctor that we saw on television this season. He's quite cross with Beat the Meat, but he's also playing with him as well. He's not going to push him in an acid bath, is he, or anything like that? Or... No. <laughs> Or drowned him in an icy pool or <laughs> knock his brains out. It's a funnier version of Colin again. You know, th- there's no time for those sort of softer moments, but no. he's funnier, more playful, even doing quite a funny yeah. impression of Beat the Meep towards the end yes. of the story. Yeah. It, it fits in very well with the with the mood of the piece, doesn't it? It's a comedy piece. Mm. It's, it's lighthearted. It's amusing. You've got a mm. silly cartoon villain. You can't really have this sort of brutal, murderous <laughs> doctor. <laughs> Um, that, that might have <laughs> appeared on TV. Well, no, especially when you've got a brutal, murderous villain that, that's also nice sometimes in the in the form of Beat the Meep, I guess. <laughs> he does get a little speech at the end, the Doctor, that I think could be read as a kind of attack on what was popular in television, but also could be levelled at some of the criticisms of his era of Doctor Who. You know, he talks about hiatuses and uh, <laughs> looking for a medium that could be louder than... TV isn't for him and hearing more from you'll be hearing more from me I can assure you I could be reading into things that aren't there but it just feels like there's a few little meta references to criticisms of that era. I think you're right I'm looking forward to his renaissance on Big Finish Yeah but it's a fun little story I don't have too much more to say about it I don't know whether there's anything else you particularly want to say There's not much to say is there really it's there and it's fun and uh, there's some interesting little behind the scenes things and anything written by Steve Lyons is going to be worth reading listening to or whatever because he's he's produced some of the the best non-television Doctor Who that there's been in the last 30 years so well 25 years He's, he's, he's a fine writer is Steve. Absolutely and any other bit of Colin Baker in his big finish guys is always is always good with me. Definitely. So we have to decide whether it's a clanger or a banger. What? Yeah, it's it's not as much of a, a, a banger as <laughs> uh, as um, the the, the Marian conspiracy, is it? But it's it's fine. It's a muffled bang. It's fine. It's a it's muffled a... bang. A thud. <laughs> too, 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 too hot for TV. That was our little look at the big finish era of Colin Baker. So thanks so much for joining me today to do it's this. It's a pleasure. Uh, is there anything you want to plug in particular? Well, we've got Hooverville next year now. We've just done this year's Hooverville, and we're looking forward to probably what what might well turn out to be our biggest 
ever Hooverville when we uh, will be celebrating Doctor Who's 60th anniversary, and that's on the 2nd of September, so quite some way off. Cosmic Mask, including the fiction section that I edit, is available from Dwas Online, DWAS Dwas Online, with uh, stories from some of the best fan fiction writers around and join the Doctor Appreciation Society, I suppose. And you can join uh, Hoover's, you can join our Hoover's Facebook group as well. And we have online as well as in-person meetings and everybody's welcome. Fantastic. And if there's anybody out there who's never been to a Hooverville, I've been to a couple and they're great events. The perfect size of Doctor Who convention for me. You can go and sit and watch some panels and they're always quite informative and funny panels. There's never a huge queue for autographs. There's never a huge queue for photos. You can usually get what you want within 10 minutes. It's a lovely little informal event where you get to meet people, catch up, sit and have a cup of tea, have a beer, whatever, and just and just say hello to people. Well, we have a, we have a big rule in, in Hooverville and the big rule is we don't have rules unless we really need to <laughs> so we try to keep it as relaxed as we possibly can but we're so lucky that i think we've got the best venue for a dot two convention anywhere i think derby yeah. quad is is well i've said it loads of times before that every city should have a quad it's it's a little arts uh, arts venue yeah. cinema it's a charity charitable institution it's just that's how it's funded and so on it's a great place to watch films it's the most comfy cinema seats you've ever sat in uh, lovely cafe bar um, and just a wonderful atmosphere and it's a community not irrespective of, of the fact that we have Hooverville there I, I go into quad a lot and you see the same faces and you say hello to people and it's a friendly welcoming terrific place to go so that's Derby Quad so I'll plug them as well fantastic and if people want to find you on social media twitter what have you have you got a twitter yeah account? i'm there I'm, uh, yeah at stephen hatcher i think there's an underscore there somewhere stephen <laughs> i think it's Perfect. at stephen underscore hatcher but yeah, i'm easy to find and on facebook as well i don't know do any of the ones that youngsters do <laughs> i don't i don't tick or talk and i don't i don't, <laughs> I don't do instagram or, uh, although i'm told it's not just youngsters who do instagram but I don't. Do no, there's, there's all sorts of people, yeah. but it depends whether you've got enough photos you actually want to share. Facebook and Twitter is, is enough. I'm, I'm, I'm findable. Uh, as I said, thank you so much for joining me today uh, on this Six Doctor journey. Pleasure. Next time, I'm joined by Ryan McGiven of the Ramble in Motion podcast, where we look at the Seventh Doctor comic strip Final Genesis, the computer game CD-ROM Destiny of the Doctors, and the Iris Wildtime audio The Panda Invasion. Until next time, I've been Dylan. And I haven't. <laughs> Steve, keep listening to Big Finish. And we'll see you again soon. said to myself the one thing you will never own a full set of so don't even try is the annuals <laughs> yeah, it took me about, took, 
took me about five years before I got a full set of the annuals. <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain. You know, I only completed my new adventures set last year. Uh, I, I probably had uh, how many of them were there? Probably 30, 40, something like that in total. A bit more, I think, yeah. but yeah. What I, I was missing about ten anyway, mm. and uh, some of them were silly money, and some of them I was really surprised that I, I, I'm sure I owned them at some point and read them, but they just <laughs> disappeared. I'd lent them to someone or lost them in a house move, but uh, and I'm now one book off finishing the. Um, past doctors range of bbc books brilliant uh, but that book is the most expensive one is, so. is that adam Huntmother? Uh, i think it's indestructible the indestructible man or something yeah like that. okay oh that's the that's the jerry anderson pastiche is with, it um, I, I have no idea yeah. what it is but... it's a jerry anderson pastiche with uh, with zoe on the front Mm. And and it's oh yes, they basically it's Doctor Who meets International Rescue and and Captain mm. Scarlet. Captain Scarlet being yeah. the indestructible man of the title. Yeah, that makes it's sense. So I set for the new adventures and the missing adventures. I was just like because I'm very kind of nostalgic about them. I was like I will complete the set no matter what. But for the for the BBC books because less nostalgic. I was like I've set myself a price point that I'm willing to go to for the rarer books, and I'm not going to go over it just just for my own sanity. And uh... well, I've got the full set. Um, I, um, I and I've read them all. But mm. worse than that, because I managed to acquire keeping copies and reading copies of most of them. Oh, nice. So most of the copies I've got have not actually been opened. I mean, some of them have. But <laughs> but I, I read Long Barrow and the Dying Days off, off the BBC website when they yes. were on there to avoid having to open the books. <laughs> um, but the, the, the problem with them is, um, and it's, I was just at the weekend, we had the uh, event, uh, Terence Dick celebration event, and I was talking to... Peter Darvill Evans and, and Nigel Robinson, who were both uh, editors of, of those books, and, and and they signed copies of their books for me, their, their novels. And I, I said to them, "Look, please be very careful when you open them, because the horrible cheap blue that was used in making these, they'll fall to bits." And they do. Have, have you, have some of yours fall to bits. That the, 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 the glue dries out something horrible in them, oh, and no, if you open them, they just boom. Yeah, the covers come right off. Yeah, I mean, Copy I haven't opened your friend. <laughs> I haven't opened them in a while, so uh, maybe I just careful. won't. Be very careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing I've done, which I really shouldn't have done, where I've got them in my bookcase, they're facing onto a, a window, albeit one with ah. a neck curtain, and the, the spines have faded on some oh, of them. Oh, no. Uh, That's... My VHS collection is still in my childhood bedroom at my dad's house which he keeps as like some weird <laughs> i don't know why he's never it's like i died years ago um and whenever i go back there the the vhs is facing a window and they're just slowly fading into into oblivion oh, but, dear. Uh, oh, dear. There's, there's, there's not a lot i can do about it and you know no. those those vhs's yeah. there are a lot of memories but they're worth bugger all and uh but lovely covers lovely covers oh yeah i mean i think that, yes mine are all in in so I'd say in the attic. That's, that sounds inaccessible. They're not. They're yeah. they're easily accessible in, in, in our attic here. I, I did actually come to the point where I took them off the shelves and they're just piled up on top of each other in the attic. 
But yeah, I really, I should have, I should have the sense to take the covers out, put them in a nice album, and throw all the plastic away. But uh, yeah, hey, it'll just go to a landfill and cause a problem. Why do you stay in my attic? Yeah, we well, you know that because a lot of secondhand shops won't take videos anymore, will no, they? Because no, they're, no, no. they're a they're a fire hazard. <laughs> but there we go. I've got a friend who collects uh, VHSs, and I said, "Well, a couple of friends who collect VHSs." I said, "Why? Why would you do that? Uh, it's a horrible format." Yes, it's got a nice picture on the front, but, hmm. but there's, there's, there's a there's a real market for them now. Like they've kind of become retro. Maybe not the Doctor Who ones, but I know people like, especially like the video nasties and the eighties yeah, yeah, films and stuff. Yeah. There's a real like, I want those films yeah, on VHS, yeah. Yeah. and there's sort of been a bit of a resurgence. It's a nostalgia thing, isn't it? Mm. But it didn't help that when they brought out the DVD range for Doctor Who, the covers were so horrible. And they're <laughs> yeah. much better now, but yeah. initially they were dreadful. Yeah. Um, but uh, And then you get the lovely Blu-rays, and we'll keep buying them in various different formats. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Until we have them injected direct into our heads. <laughs>